Uh, because preaching at the table is a communal activity, we need the Holy Spirit not only for the preacher but also for the hearer. And uh, I preach as one among, not as one over or above. I pray the Lord be with you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for Palm Sunday. We thank you for your revelation today in your gospel. We ask for ears to hear, eyes to see. God, I even ask for the courage to face what you would have us face today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew tells us what happened uh, on Palm Sunday was fulfilling what the prophet said, Say to daughter Zion, look, your king is coming to you, humble and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the donkey's offspring. Look, your king is coming to you, humble and riding on a donkey. Friends, today is Palm Sunday. Uh, it's, a, it's a season, it's a, it's a day in the church calendar. Uh, and this is the day we proclaim Jesus is revealed as king. Not as a warrior king who brings justice through violence against his enemies, but a humble king who becomes an enemy and takes on our violence. Today we proclaim the good news that Jesus is revealed as king, not as a warrior king who overcomes his enemies with violence, but as a humble king who becomes the enemy and takes on our violence. What sort of king do we want today, friends? What sort of king do we long for? One who conquers through violence and force? Or one who makes peace by laying down his life? It's been a long week for me. It's been spring break. Uh, my kids, I uh, love them, but they are ready. I'm probably, I'm ready for them to go back to school. Um, and I was just talking to Andy uh, before the service. Uh, I think every week is like this for me, but maybe punctuated more because of our text for this Sunday. But uh, our world is a mess, friends. <laughs> it's a mess. I woke up Tuesday morning uh, to the news, as you all did, that uh, Bashar al-Assad had used chemical weapons against his own people on a town in Syria. He's the leader of Syria. And this isn't the first time he's done this. Assad is uh, fond of chemical weapons. Um, there's a six-year civil war happening in Syria right now. Uh, it's uh, too complicated to describe briefly, but it involves essentially every major world power in existence, plus tons of fighting factions. You've got Iran involved and Russia involved. You've got Hezbollah involved, ISIS involved, Syrian rebels, Jordan, uh, the Arab Emirates, Turkey involved, uh, United States, UN. There isn't anyone with an existing military budget who doesn't have an interest in Syrians' civil war. So videos surfaced on Tuesday and Wednesday of uh, women and children uh, dying and dead from chemical weapons. Thursday, Thursday evening, uh, one of the responses uh, uh, to this tragedy 
among other things, was uh, the United States fired 59 Tomahawk missiles from two U.S. destroyers who were parked in the eastern Mediterranean Sea into Syria and hit one of their airfields. This is not the first time the U.S. has fired missiles into Syria, but it is the first time the U.S. has attacked Syrian government in Syria. The response to this uh, reaction of the chemical warfare uh, and the response to uh, uh, America's response to that were almost unilateral. Everyone was horrified by the chemical weapons uh, and then everyone was praising America's response of bombing. In fact, uh, the praise for America and our president uh, broke party lines. It's the first time we've really heard people on the other side of our political spectrum affirm something that President Trump has done. Nothing unifies divided people like having a common enemy. Nothing. This morning as I'm working on this sermon, uh, uh, Literally, this morning, a sermon, I'm just checking the news once in a while, and uh, two churches have been bombed in Egypt this morning. Two Coptic Christian churches in Egypt have uh, two separate bombs, one a suicide bomber. The first explosion was in Tanta. It killed 25 people worshiping. 60 were injured. The second explosion happened in Alexandria, and it killed two with, with 21 injured. And ISIS has already claimed responsibility. This isn't the first time Coptic Christians in Egypt have been executed, persecuted, and bombed. How do we respond as God's people to things like this? What shall we say of the never-ending cycle of violence, retribution, revenge, retaliation, what do we say for the suffering, right? The, the kids who, uh, who, are, who are playing with a doll one minute and the next minute can't breathe because their nervous system is under attack and the next minute are dead. Or the kids who are playing with their doll one minute and the next minute find out that their mom or dad was killed by a bomb from a U.S. destroyer in retaliation to that. My three responses are to look away. It's too much. To get angry. I think my first response when I heard that Tomahawk missiles were fired was this little ping of uh, gratitude or satisfaction that the evil guy is getting what he deserves. And then to cry because it's almost unbearable, the amount of suffering in the world. Friends, what, what, does, what does this kind of tragedy and suffering do to you? Where do you go? Do you go to distraction? Do you go to demands for retaliation? Or do you go to despair? Today, friends, on Palm Sunday... We proclaim that Jesus is revealed as king. 
not as a warrior king who brings justice through violence against his enemies, but as a humble king who becomes the enemy and takes all our violence. Let's look at our text today from Matthew chapter 21. This is a hard sermon to, for me to preach because um, I have an irritation for pastors. This is just a confession. I have an irritation for pastors who use the pulpit for political purposes. And I can't get around the fact that Matthew 21 is a political text. So I'm irritated with myself right now. Just want you to know that. But I think that's that's the gospel doing work in me. This is Palm Sunday, and we've, uh, th- this is something that most kids or most adults who go to school, go to Sunday school, like we're familiar with this. There's typically palm branches, and we wave them. The, the punchline to Palm Sunday is, hey, these crowds cheer Jesus as he comes in, but then three days later are shouting, crucify him. Stop me if you've heard this sermon before. And so Palm Sunday is a celebration of Jesus as king, but also with this dark sort of, beginning of Holy Week message of, uh, spoiler alert, these people want to kill Jesus. That's partially what's happening, but let's take a look again at this text because today Jesus is revealed as the humble king who takes our violence and becomes our enemy to bring peace and justice to the world. Friends, this entire text is a, a, a declaration that Jesus is king. The, the entry into Jerusalem is the way that people saw uh, an inauguration or a, an entry of a king into a city. But it was done slightly differently than people imagined. So this, this, uh, Jesus asks these two people to go get a donkey for him. Uh, this is, um, rather than I think being sort of like a Jesus is, uh, has this omniscience and he kind of, Sees, sees these people and he says, go grab this stuff because I've, I've zapped these people with God thoughts and they're going to give it to you. Uh, this is more of, this is what kings did. Right? This is like the police officer flashing his badge. I'm just thinking of like Beverly Hills Cop where, where Eddie Murphy flashes his badge and takes people's Lamborghinis. Like this is Jesus saying, the, like there's an acquisition right of a king. So the fact that he could send people to go get a donkey for him to ride was an assertion that I'm king. And this, uh, there's, there's precedent for this in Israel. Uh, king David rode into Jerusalem on a donkey from the Mount of Olives. So this, this evokes a Davidic kingship. But it also is challenging the dominant imagination that Israel had for what a king should do because kings would ride victorious into cities, but they would ride in on war horses, not jackasses. Donkeys were associated with poor people, common laborers. Uh, they were uh, not as grand or as beautiful as a war horse. Nobody rides a donkey into battle. <laughs> well, they do, but they don't come back, <laughs> right? And so there's, a, there's an intentional, there's an in, and this is what our text from Zechariah 9 is about today, right? There's, there's this sense of making peace by riding in on a donkey. You're not declaring war. You're, you're subverting war. There's cloaks on the donkey and branches being laid 
on the path. This is all in the tradition of Israelite kingship. This, even this declaration, Hosanna, which means, Lord, save us, but has become in the celebration of what leads up to Passover, has become for Jews this praise that, that, has all, that evokes all kinds of feelings of um, expectation and hope that, that the king will come, the long-awaited Messiah will come to deliver us. We're told then at the end of our text that the entire city is in turmoil. Verse 10, the whole city was stirred up. The word here is literally quaking. It's the word word for earthquake. It's shaking. What's happening? What's going on? And we get a picture, friends, of the crowds who've come from Jesus from Galilee, who've come with him from Bethpage and who've who've, uh, come off the Mount of Olives with him. They're the ones declaring and singing and celebrating. This is Jesus' entourage. The people in Jerusalem, however, are like, what's, what's going on? What's happening? What's happening? So the, the, just the common picture of these people who are shouting for Jesus, that he's king, saying crucify him three days later, probably isn't accurate. The people who are acclaiming him as he comes in are probably people who just abandon him once things go south. And the people shouting crucify him are these people. What's going on? What's happening here? Now, friends, uh, Jesus doesn't ride into Jerusalem in a hunky-dory, politically copacetic place. Jerusalem is a mess. Jerusalem is a mess. You've got, uh, I mean, Jerusalem is Syria, friends. You've got Herod Antipas, who's the king of Judea. You have Pilate, who's the prefect of Rome, who lives in Jerusalem, and the governor kind of oversees things. You have factions like the Sadducees and Pharisees and Zealots and Essenes, who are these social, political, religious groups within Israel who all think they know the way to make peace and justice. So you have Herod who's a violent, he's a, he's a violent despot. This is the guy who chops off John the Baptist's head because he wants to get busy with his wife's daughter. This is the guy who orders an execution of 200 Israelite men at his death so that there will be weeping. This is Herod, and he kind of runs some of the show. Then you've got Pilate, who, who is under intense pressure just to keep the Jews copacetic. See, the Roman Empire got so big, not because Rome demanded everybody, everybody become a Roman citizen, but because they had this, like, this, this hegemonic pluralism, this sort of like, you can be who you want to be as long as you give honor to Rome. And that's how they were able to hold all these diverse peoples together. But Jerusalem was particularly difficult. Israel was particularly difficult. And there were all kinds of revolts and factions. And Pilate was under intense pressure to keep things calm. Which is why we see in some of the texts that lead up to Jesus' crucifixion, the way that the Sadducees, who, who basically had compromised with Pilate, because they were the richest, wealthiest, most powerful Jews in, Israel, in Jerusalem. That's why they say things to him like, whoever lets Jesus go is no friend of Rome. This is, this is, this is political intrigue and political sort of 
maneuvering within Israel. Then you got the zealots who want to. I mean, they're, they're like they're like Hezbollah. They they just they they think the way to the way to overturn the Rome the Romans is with uh, is knives out. The the Pharisees are sort of the populists. They 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 have religious purity. They get a bad rap, but they're living in a contentious, highly contentious, highly violent society. And they're the ones who say the way to deal with this, the way to bring peace and justice to Jerusalem is to hold to the law, to be exceedingly faithful Jews. And then you have the Essenes who are the separatists, escapist, kind of uh, super pious hippie dippies <laughs> who escape Jerusalem, live in their own little enclave out in the wilderness. So Jesus rides into Jerusalem in the midst of this highly complicated, highly complex situation. And how does he handle it? Which side does he take, friends? That's what all these interviews before Herod and Pilate are. This is the Sanhedrin when Jesus is brought. Sanhedrin, you know, prophecy, who hit you? We hear that you're going to rebuild the temple in three days. All of this is attempting to get Jesus on their side. If we can co-op Jesus, if we can get Jesus to declare allegiance on our side, then we get the people. Then we get control and power. So what does Jesus do? Well, <laughs> Jesus brings peace and justice to Jerusalem. Not by using violence against his enemies, but by becoming the enemy and taking on the violence. Friends, this is the sin of the world that's laid upon him. This is the sin of the world that's laid upon him. Today, Palm Sunday, we proclaim that Jesus is revealed as king, not as the warrior king who brings justice through violence against his enemies, but as a humble king who brings justice by becoming the enemy and taking on the violence. What sort of king do we want today? What sort of king do we want today? Friends, in my heart, I want Syria, I want Egypt, I want America, I want Iraq, I want Iran, I want Russia, I want North Korea, who, by the way, is uh, really upset that we've got boats really close to Korea right now. I want China. I want all of these situations to be not complicated. I want clear good guys and bad guys. I want a king who will dominate and control. But I follow a king who rides a donkey and enters into Syria, not to kick butt and take names, but to die for his enemies and absorb the violence. What kind of king do we want today? At the table, friends, we are committed. We're committed to 
What is, remember the text um, right before Jesus rides into Jerusalem, where he weeps over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I long to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks, but you were not willing. If only you'd known the things that made for revolution. If only you'd known the things that made for peace, he says. But you were not willing. Friends, at the table, we want to be willing to make peace. We want to be willing to discover that together. And so here are some commitments. I'm just going to read five commitments that we have as a church, as a people, to develop an imagination in a world addicted to violence and revenge and retribution and retaliation. How can we possibly as a church overcome or escape that? Well, here's five commitments we have that help us do this. Number one, we want to unify around what we are, not what we're not. It's easy to scapegoat other religions, other churches, other denominations. If we could find an Assad to bomb, we could probably build our church pretty big. We could unify Democrats and Republicans, which just short of the kingdom of God is a miracle. So we proclaim good news here. We don't critique bad churches. We want to unify around what we are, not what we're not. Secondly, we're committed to mutual submission and leadership. So Ben and I and the other leaders of our church, friends, we, we, uh, as tempting as it is, we, we don't want to assume a command and control posture. Even benevolent dictators create factions and rivalries and enmity and strife. We don't want to do any violence, relational, physical, or otherwise. Third, the Eucharist every week. We come back to this meal that organizes our community around the suffering servant, the Jesus who, rather than inflicting violence on his enemies, becomes the enemy and absorbs our violence. So the Eucharist is a powerful practice. Jesus not only is the propitiation, but he's the pattern. So that, what that means is we don't just come to the meal and remember that Jesus died so we don't have to, but we come to the meal to remember that Jesus died so we can die with him. He's the pattern, not just the problem solver. Four, we ask the question over and over again, who are the oppressed and the scapegoated among us? Who are... Who are the kids who get caught in the crossfire? Who are the people who feel scared to death living here? Who are those that don't have the power of money or weapons or government on their side? Who are those people? This is why we have a relationship with the mosque uh, on Lantern Road, Al-Huda, uh, and our friend Salah. But who do you see like this? What do you notice? We want to become people who notice and enter into these places. And then fifth, friends, reconciliation and forgiveness are a way of life for us. Peacemaking comes through dying and laying down our lives for each other. And so we can't develop an imagination for how to make peace in a place like Egypt or Syria or even America without making peace here. Without 
confession and forgiveness without reconciliation. Because friends, today we declare that Jesus is revealed as king. He comes as a humble king, not as a warrior king. Not as someone who wants to overcome his enemies through violence, but as one who becomes the enemy and takes on our violence. I thought uh, a way to respond to this good news today, this Palm Sunday, this ridiculously political text, (laughs) is to simply uh, confess, try to confess to you a couple ways, like I, I'm ashamed to say that I, part of me still rejoices in the fact that part of me still believes that missiles can make peace. It's hard for me to confess to you, but that's... Right. So maybe we need to confess the ways that we're in love with warrior kings. Kings who want to kick butt and take names. And then, friends, um, as part of our response as the church is to pray for peace. Pray for the Jerusalems right now. I mean, maybe, uh, maybe you've been thinking about Syria too. Maybe it's Egypt. Maybe it's somewhere else, right? I could, I could list 10 other things happening today in places like Africa, Southeast Asia, Ukraine. Let's spend some time, uh, before we come to the table, making our request known, known to God. Um, remember the Lord knows what we need before we ask so uh, we're not trying to get God to show up here we're just, like kids we're just telling our dad what we need and we just say Lord in your mercy and then we all agree by saying Lord hear our prayer Okay, let's take some time to pray intercede for our world together Father uh, we thank you that when you decided to reveal what your reign and rule looks like that you rode a donkey into Syria. And rather than taking sides, rather than taking control, rather than the nuclear option that you identified with the enemies, with us, and you took the violence into yourself and you ended it there. Lord, we want to have that same heart and mind with us as we pray for our world today. Lord, I pray for uh, people on the ground in Syria who are taking care of people impacted by the, the ha- more than half-decade-long s- civil war. I pray just specifically for kids who've lost their parents today. Pray for boys and girls. And I pray, Lord, that uh, not only would their physical needs be met, but you would be working that they would not become bitter and angry and resentful and afraid. That you would do a beautiful work there. Lord, in your mercy.